Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, uh, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. Today we're reading from the big book. We're currently on page five in Bill's story. The uh, first paragraph, it begins, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It ends with, which renewed my wife's hope. And we're just going to comment on the one paragraph. So today's readers, uh, we have Sherry S. on the 12 steps, uh, Kimberly G. on the 12 traditions, and the readers of the text are Maura Z., Nancy P., and Vanessa G. Uh, the share ID for yesterday, Tuesday, February 20th, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, that number is 21,150. That's 21150. And for the 10 a.m. meeting yesterday, 21,000. 152, that's 21152. The OA pre-Ramble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask uh, Sherry S. to uh, get us started with the 12 steps. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for the opportunity to be of service. One. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever, wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you, Sherry. Okay, let me now ask uh, Kimberly G. to read the 12 traditions. Kimberly, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I'm Kimberly G. and recovering overeater. Um, I'll start with tradition one. Um, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, 
For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in, um, in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They are do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Number four, each group should be autonomous except in matters of affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Number five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Number six, an OA ought OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related fa- uh, facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Number eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly directly responsible to those they serve. Uh, Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be um, drawn into public controversy. Number 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, other public media of communication. And number 12, anonymity, anonymity excuse me, is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Kimberly. Okay, this is how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from literature, then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. I'll give you a heads up on that. Uh, singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year. For readers, it's six months, and there is no abstinence requirement for sharing a topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And of course, uh, we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. So if you'd like to share, press star one to unmute your phone. Once you're done sharing, uh, let us know by saying pass, and then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. And again, today we're on page number five in uh, the chapter Bill's story. Um, Laura's going to start us with the first paragraph. It begins, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It ends with, which renewed my wife's hope. And we're just going to comment on the one paragraph. So let me uh, pass the baton to uh, Maura to get us started. Hey, Maura. Baton grabs. Good morning, Larry. My name is Maura <laughs> Z. I'm a grateful recovered Compulsive overeater by God's grace and mercy. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. 
A tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. I can relate to this. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. When I was in the food before coming to program, food was life. And it took over most of my waking thoughts. When I was at work, I would be thinking, when is lunchtime? When I was at work in the afternoon, I would be thinking, when can I get out of here, go get my dinner? I would go out to lunch sometimes with coworkers, and that was the bright spot of the day. Then they would ask if anybody wanted dessert. Well, I'm out to lunch. I'm having dessert. And oftentimes, I'd be the only one at the table having dessert, and I had it anyway because it was no longer a luxury. It was no longer something nice to have. It was something I had to have. There was no... Um, there was no chance of me not having dessert. If I started a debate in my head, which I sometimes did later, that, oh, no, no, I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it. Well, as soon as the debate starts, it's over for this compulsive overeater. Going through the day, eating, grazing all day long. I was never much of a binge eater but I was definitely a grazer. And all the while, I thought, I'm doing okay. I got a good job. I'm married. I got a house. I got a dog. Life is good, right? Life is not good because the scale keeps going up and up and up. And in my own self, in my own, this is my life for the rest of my life. There's no end in sight. Yet there were still times when I thought, I could control the situation. I couldn't control the situation because I was powerless. I was not ever going to be able to control the situation on my own. I would go on diets and they would fail. Or they would be successful and I would lose weight only to be done with the diet and discontinue to my regular eating habits. This is very indicative of my life. And as far as renewing my wife's hope, I guess my husband at times thought, oh, good, she's on a diet. This is going to work this time. And, of course, it never did. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. That just sticks in my head because there was never a time when the food was a luxury. It was a necessity. It was a foregone conclusion. It didn't matter if I started a debate in my head. I was going to eat. No one was going to get between me and my food, which reminds me of something I said to someone when I first came to a really strong OA meeting, that no one was going to stop me from getting into that meeting, as no one stops me now from getting to this meeting. This is my solution. This is the solution, or this is a solution, actually. It's not the solution, it's a solution. And this solution works for me, because this solution brings me to my higher power. And that's the power required 
for me to become a normal person in some respects, at least with respect to the food. Normalcy is overrated. I don't know anybody who is. But anyway, that's my take on this paragraph. And with that, I will pass. Thanks, Larry, for your service. Oh, you bet. Thanks for getting us started, Maura. Okay, so before we take names, although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day so others can, can, can kind of jump in as well. So if you share it on Monday or Tuesday, just respectfully ask that you, you take a step back. And um, yeah, let's see who would like to share on what was read. Lynn S. Janet B. Florida. Diane B. Nancy P. Reva, Nancy, look at this pen fly. Oh my gosh. Hannah Yetta. Hannah Yetta. Susan G. Susan. Bonnie B. Let me tell you who. Bonnie, after Bonnie, let's, uh, let's stop there. I, I bet I missed somebody, but let's, let me tell you who I got. Uh, so I have Lynn, Janet, Diane, Reva, Nancy, Hannah Yetta, Susan, and Bonnie. In that first group, not, not someone later, but did I miss someone that already said their name that I just didn't hear it? Rick J. I know that voice. All right, let's stop with Rick J. So we got a nice list here. So let's start and kick it off with Lynn, followed by Janet. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Vision. This is Lynn S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto, Canada. For some reason, this just struck me today, the lunacy between, you know, food became a necessity, but I thought I could control it. Well, if it was a necessity to binge my face off all the time and I couldn't stop, how, how was that control? But in my head, it was. It, this is what is so, per, you know, it's just baffles me. It absolutely baffles me. My way of controlling it, I don't eat on Thursdays. I binge all weekend, but I'm not going to eat Monday through Friday, but I was already eating, but that's okay. I'll control it this way. I'll go into the store that I always stopped in on the way to work and tell them, don't sell me any cookies. I'm dieting. And then I'll go in the next day and pound on their counter and ask for my cookies. And the guy's staring at me and like, just give them to me. It just, I can't even articulate what's going on in my mind because it's just the absurdity of it. And yet, I, and yet that was my control. I can even feel it surging up in me. Yeah, I was controlling it. That's how I controlled it. And the diet pills that the doctor would give me, which I found out later, were street drugs called yellow jackets. And I'd decide when I woke up every morning if I was going to binge or not that day. So that depended on whether I was going to take the pill because I didn't want to take the pill and waste it if I was going to binge because he might not give me any more. And I remember sitting there in the office one time and reading about the side effects of these pills. And it didn't make any difference. None of it made any difference because I was in control. I got this. I got this. I didn't got this. <laughs> Believe me, I didn't got this. I don't know why that struck me so much this morning, but just just the lunacy of the way I lived my life under Lynn's control. And when I finally gave up control of everything, 
my life, my food, my thoughts, what I even thought about God, when I just gave that up and said, God, please help me. I can't do this. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do. Then the power came in. I am so grateful that I am not in control anymore. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Lynn. Okay, next up we have Janet followed by Diane. Janet, good morning. Hi, good morning, Larry. This is Janet B. Recovered Compulsive Eater in North Carolina. Yeah, that first line, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. So it almost sounds like there's this invisible line. Like on one side of the line, it's a luxury. I could take it or leave it. I could go on a diet and, you know, lose some weight. Um, and then there crosses a line where, oh, my goodness, no matter what I do, I can't do anything about it. And it um, reminds me of that line, top of page 24, at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. So that's telling me that when I crossed that line, my most powerful desire was of absolutely no avail. And that was my experience for my first six and a half years in Overeaters Anonymous. I would get a food plan and people would say, great, you admit you're powerless, now here's a food plan, stick to it. Well, I couldn't, and that actually didn't make sense because it's like on the one hand, you're telling me I'm powerless, and on the other hand, you're telling me to stick to a food plan. It didn't work. For six and a half years, I tried, it didn't work. And people said, well, you're not really trying. You know, if you wanted to, you could be abstinent for a day, a week, a month, whatever time period they put, but I couldn't. And it's just like what they're telling me is the most powerful desires of absolutely no avail. I needed to be rescued. Bill talks later about like quicksand, and that was me. In quicksand, no matter how much you struggle, it gets worse. So what was my solution? The only solution was to surrender everything to God, not just my food, right? That's the easy part to say, okay, God, take care of my food, but everything, um, take care of my honesty, which means I had to be committed to being honest. Take care of my marriage. Take care of my job. Everything. In everything, I'll try to do your will. And, you know, I think that if we pray for physical healing, it may come, it may not come. But when we pray for spiritual healing and submit everything to God, this book tells us that he listens and that we're placed in a position of neutrality which is miraculous. And that was my experience. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Oh my gosh. That, thank you so much, Janet. I was muting myself there. Thank you. Um, Diane is next, followed by Reva. Diane, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you, everyone, for your service today. Um, I'm Diane B., gratefully recovered here in New York, where it's still cold, but getting warmer. Um, so I want to, I just have to remember that, you know, this is Bill's story. Do I think like Bill thought? Do I eat like he ate? I mean, like he drank, you know, do I do what he did? Um, you know, so sugar ceased to be a luxury for me. Food in general, you know, I used to love to eat. Um, you know, I call myself a foodie, but I had to stop doing that because it was controlling me. It was running my life. I felt like a slave to the food. Um, so then it says, you know, that the beer would be, that it, uh, the gin and the beer were required. I always had to have food in my refrigerator. If there was no food in my refrigerator, if it was running low, I would feel hungry. 
not because I was physically hungry, but in my head, it was like, wow, there's no food here. I'm hungry, um, which, you know, is totally disease. That's the um, obsession of the mind working towards me or, or working on me. Um, so I always had to have my refrigerator full. I always had bags and boxes in my cupboards. Um, there was just always food around. And also that, you know, I had to eat more and more. So I couldn't just have like one bag of chips. I had to have two or three bags of chips. I couldn't just have, you know, one box of cookies. I had to have a couple of boxes of cookies. Um, I remember that when I started baking chocolate chip cookies after getting abstinent, after coming into the room, all of a sudden I was getting the two dozen that the recipe said was the yield on it. I never had two dozen cookies or never got to the yield on it because I realized I was always eating the cookie dough before they even got into the oven. Um, so the, the requirement of food for me kept growing bigger and bigger and more and more. And then he goes on to talk about the periods of sobriety. Well, for me, that relates to diets. And I cannot tell you how many diets I have done on and off, on and off. My weight was going up and down. Um, I was a yo-yo dieter. That's all I knew because I didn't know that this was a disease. I didn't know I had a problem with um, with an allergy of the body or anything. I just thought I had a weight problem because my whole life I had been told that I had a weight problem and that, you know, I should just eat less. I know you should be ashamed of yourself. You gained so much weight. I couldn't do it. And I didn't understand why I couldn't do it. I just thought that I was different than everybody else because my weight just kept going up and down. So those periods of sobriety, those diets, they didn't work for me. You know, this is, this is my solution right here. And I just heard that somebody else just share the same thing. For me, this is the solution. This is all I know to do that helps me to manage and to live with this disease and to keep it at bay one day at a time. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thanks, Diane. Okay, next up we have Reva followed by Nancy. Reva, good morning. Reva Presto, one. Good morning. There you Took are. a while. Um, yeah, here I am. Uh, this is Reva P, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Um, for me, this paragraph reminds me of the progression of my disease, um, both the allergy of the body and the, um, the mental aspect of my disease. So when I see the progression, you know, from luxury to necessity, and then eventually it'll be oblivion. I remember that necessity, that required um, kind of feeling. I remember um, getting through the day at work and it was like I was um, a balloon that was blown up to its max and I was gonna pop. Like I just, I, I was like holding breath underwater. Um, I couldn't wait to get into my apartment, shut the door, um, and start ordering and, and getting my binge foods. And just, it was required um, to get through a day. It was required to go to somewhere that I was worried about. It was required after I went somewhere to de-stress. I needed the effect um, and I could not get through 24 hours without that effect. I couldn't get through anything um, without boosting myself or calming myself down with the drug of my choice, which was, um, sugar and white flour. And I love how it says bathtub gin, because for me, like bathtub gin is really lousy quality, um, 
liquor. So I, it didn't matter what it was getting like stuff that was, you know, the three day old stuff on sale. I needed more and more and more volume, less quality, more quantity to get the same effect. Um, I just needed that effect. And then the mental obsession, um, um, you know, no matter what the circumstances were showing me that every day I was doing the same exact thing, getting the same exact crappy results, I still thought I could control it. Yeah, that's like, you know, denial, delusion, um, delirium, like it's just insane. Um, and I didn't see it then, I could see it now in hindsight that every morning I woke up thinking, yeah, today is gonna be another day I'm gonna be able to do this. And thank you, God, Today, I can get the effect from a different power. Um, so put the food down, work the steps, and access a power um, and not use food as that power. Um, with that, I pass. Thanks, Reva. Okay, next up we have Nancy, followed by Hana Yetta. Nancy, good morning. Hi, good morning. Nancy P. Kevin West Newton, Massachusetts. I love this um, paragraph. Liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. That is the definition of addiction for me. And um, I can't really identify with two bottles of gin and a half a dozen bottled glasses of ale or whatever. Um, but, you know, the, to me, the, the, the sentence in this paragraph that means so much is, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. That's the cruelest part of the disease, I think, is the renewal of hope with no lasting result. Um, because the truth was always and ever, why couldn't I get in front of this problem? I was both oblivious and simultaneously I attended to it with the precision of a diamond dealer. Like, it's hard to imagine being completely in the dark, yet completely precise. Um, I thought saying, what's the use anyhow, meant that I was surrendering. But really what it meant, really what it was, was succumbing. And um, to succumb means to um, give way to a superior force. And today, you know, my whole... Um, my, my, it's, I don't want to call it a new thing, but a new realization that's, that's percolated to the top again is the idea of powerlessness. I, I want more powerlessness. I say bring it on, more and more powerlessness, because if powerlessness was a drug, it would be heroin, because what it does is it takes away all my worries and all my fears. I don't need to worry about anything if I know for, for a fact that I'm powerless. Um, and I want, you know, I sort of think of myself, I want what I want to be myself is I want to be a riverbed and I want my life to flow over me. And I don't want to react. I don't want to be in the prison of reacting to every little thing that happens to me. I want to be able to act appropriately no matter what, even when I'm angry, which I still get angry because I'm human, even when I get afraid, which I still get afraid because I'm human, all those things. I'm still a human being. And today I sit in the space that I take up. Um, you know, why did it seem like I was unable to learn? And in the end, it didn't matter. If I could have gotten on my knees, I would amputate my legs at the knee. And praying never worked for me and still doesn't work, by the way, so I don't do it. And the only thing I could do was throw up my hands and say, I don't know, and please tell me. Just please tell me what to do. And someone in whom the problem had been solved helped me. She wasn't my friend, isn't my friend, and will never be my friend, but she was a kick-ass sponsor, and she knew the book. 
and um, and she helped me. And and what helps me now still today are my sponsees. They're the most precious things, people in my life. Um, I, I I love to do it. And um, it's you know I was told that that this should be inconvenient, that it should pinch a little bit. And that's true. It, it does. I mean, it takes, you know, it takes time when I could be sitting around doing nothing eating. That's what it, <laughs> that's what it does. It, it does that. But, you know, it, it, particularly um, what it does is it keeps me focused, helping other people. It's the most effective thing that I do of anything that I do. And I feel like, you know, I do a lot. I, I, I do a lot of things. And that is the most effective thing that I do. And how did I get there? One word, say it with me. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Surrender. <laughs> you told me to say it with you, Nancy. Well, All right, say it with oh, me. Yeah. All right, good. Okay. All right, I'm done. <laughs> I love it. Okay, next, my favorite name in the world, uh, followed by Susan, Hana Yetta. Good morning, Hana Yetta. Larry, thank you. I giggle every time you say my name. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you very much. Thanks for your service. Thanks for everybody's already shared. Um, what's Nancy's last initial? It's P. Nancy P. Thank you. Okay. Um, As in one trick pony, just to let you know. <laughs> Thanks, Nancy. Okay. Um, <laughs> I lost everything I was going to say. Um, <laughs> but it, no, I... I I'm sure I still have it in here somewhere. Um, I wanted to say this. The last is um, that I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of abstinence which renewed my hope. My hope. It renewed my hope, um, which is a little bit different. But I, I really thought every time I'd, I'd finally put down the food for just a little while, even if it was two days or a week or a month or whatever it was. This is I'm talking about my very last relapse. Um, and I thought I could, you know, I'm gonna this time I'm gonna do it. This time I'm gonna do it. And um but then I would go in the refrigerator and I would see and my my mine my binges are sugar and fats like margarine out of the tub and mayonnaise uh and cream cheese and, and peanut butter and, I, I, you know, anyway, it's, those are the types of things that called me and I would do fine as long as I would hide those things in the refrigerator so I didn't see them and then my husband would use one of them and then um, he'd put it right in the front and I'd open the refrigerator and there it was and there I went and um, I could eat a half a container of margarine at, at a time and the only reason I didn't take more is my husband would have killed me if he went in there and didn't have what he needed so um but that's the only control I had and um I guess after being married 53 years you know that you, you don't want to go there so um but that's how I controlled it <laughs> I would hide things and I never thought I hid food, but in this sense, I would hide food that I didn't want to eat. And um, but then I would uh, go out to the store and I'd get another tub and put it in the refrigerator outside where he wouldn't see it, so I could go out there and eat it. Oh, it was it. It's really hard to to 
it's a it's a life of of health trying to eat the things you want to eat and not get caught and you know feel like you're eating you know anyway taking drugs or whatever it is it is a drug for me they're all drugs thank you and so anyway i just wanted to say that when i first came in the 24th of this month of two, at least this month, at least three months, and I totally surrendered, and I had a wonderful sponsor, and I read the book page by page. I'm reading the book page by page, and it's a miracle. So thank you for letting me share, and thank you for your service, Larry. Oh, you bet. Thanks, honey. It's up. Okay, next up we have Susan, followed by Bonnie. Susan, it's your turn. Good morning. Hey, Larry. Hey, everybody. Good morning. It's Susan G. in Tennessee. Uh, recovered, compulsive overeater, grateful. Oh, my gosh. So many, so many catchwords today. Um, uh, appreciate all the shares, you know, the lunacy, the need for rescue, you know, the necessity, the solution, and, of course, surrender, surrender, surrender. Always appreciating, always appreciating. So, you know, I call this instead of the nevertheless, Paragraph, it's the always the more paragraph for me. Always the more. I still thought I could control my situation of compulsively grazing and overeating. And this was even while in OA. I've been in OA since 2005, and the desperation grew. My waistline grew, and then it would decrease and increase, decrease, increase. Uh, Unhappiness grew until I just... I was out of ideas. I had almost three years of what I thought was was abstinence, and uh, and I picked up. And what I picked up was my addiction to my selfishness, to me running the show, to being my love was a convenient love because it always had to benefit me. That was really my problem, and and you know it just led to being hopeless. Um. And yes, shaky, absolutely shaky. I had gotten to a point in my worst times where, you know, I had to drive from fast food place to fast food place, eating while driving, all the way home from work for an hour just to try to deal and be somewhat present for my family. It was no way to live. It was miserable. But I will say, when I began to come to vision regularly, take notes, and when I began to hear this surrender concept that I hear, a rescue concept, and I realized I was out of any ideas. And could I take that whew, scary jump off the cliff and leap and say, I don't know. I do not know. I can tell you, I can quote this big book. I do not know. I can't do this. It was at that moment when I laid down my weapons of any idea. Shut up called someone, someone took me through this book, and what happened was this wonderful miracle of rescue that's been talked about, and that power was always there, but it wasn't in its place because I wasn't in mine. If this is anything like you've been experiencing and you're miserable, call me. Let's talk. I want you to be rescued. And, uh, you know, my disease progresses. I'm not cured. I don't need to be cured today. You know, I just, I need to be rescued today, and I need to know my place. I am not my own power. 
but power comes in and I walk in peace today. And like has been shared, it's it's giving it away. It's being available to others, helping others because it helps me. And so grateful to be on this meeting. Love this paragraph. Love all of you. Thank you for my rescue. I'm still enjoying it. With that, I'll pass. Hey, thanks, Susan. Okay, next up is Bonnie, followed by Clyde. I can resist Bonnie. Yeah. Good morning, Bonnie. How are you? Good morning, Larry. Um, bless. Thank you so much for your service. And the shares have been over the top as usual. I don't know where to even start with this paragraph. I mean, this was my life. Um, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It was. It's. It's the ramping up. It became a necessity. I. I remember. Um, it, it controlling 24 hours of my day. And I want to say, like, me trying to control it, but it ultimately controlled me. I look at the word ceased, and that is a past tense word. And it just means that it, it, at one point it did sort of work. But it, at a certain point it didn't work, and that was very baffling for me. And the word luxury, that was a state of great comfort. There was a state in my life where it brought me comfort, and then all of a sudden it didn't. It became the great tormentor for me. And it went on endlessly. One day rolled to the next. And if I wasn't thinking about um, how to lose weight, I was thinking about what the next diet plan was. I was, I was trying to micromanage what the number was on the scale. I was thinking about how, how was I going to replace what I ate in the middle of the night? How am I going to do that without people knowing? Um, it's that, you know, you jump toward the end where it says, um, I still thought I could control the situation. I have in my, in my parentheses, deception, the great deception. Periods of sobriety to me were simply another diet. If I had a couple of days, I had hope. Maybe I had figured this thing out. This disease is so cunning and so baffling. And the greatest day, well, second greatest day in my life, um, was when um, someone invited me to this meeting because I did not know there was a solution. And I didn't know I had different DNA than most people. On page 427, it says, if you're an apple, you can be the best apple you can be, but you can never be an orange. Well, I was surrounded by oranges. And I, I, I mean, Day after day, week after week, when I had promised myself I would never do it again, and then I did it. I wake up and I take that um, that aluminum baseball bat, figuratively speaking, I go back into the closet of isolation and I would beat myself up because why couldn't I do it? Well, the deal is I hadn't plugged into the source. That's it. I mean, everyone says the same thing. It's a full surrender. We find it in step three. We have to do one and two before we get to step three. And then it's living in step three. I play hot potato on a regular basis. That's not mine. If I lose my peace, I immediately do a 10-step. That's not mine. I have a very small hula hoop. God's inside of my hula hoop. There's People have said this often. I mind what I say people have said. Um, and I'm just copying their great information. There's um, God's business, my business, and none of my business. I've come to understand that most of my life is none of my business. It's all God's. And I get to live recovered, and I'm grateful for that. And for each of you, and with that, I'll pass. Uh, thanks so much, Bonnie. Okay, Rick J. Had to, uh, had to pass. So we're going to take more names, and we're on page five, first paragraph, liquor ceased to be a luxury, just that one paragraph. With that in mind, who would like to share? 
TK. Karen P. from Pennsylvania. David. David F. Okay. Nancy F. from Arkansas. Okay, let's stop Kate there for a, a second, okay? Yeah, I heard um, Janice. Was that Pete? Did I get that right? Or did I just botch Kate that? Kate Kate. I don't know how I made P. I mean, I don't know how I did that. Janice, Janice Kate. P.M. <laughs> yes, I got Maybe Janice from Kate. Maybe the P.M. <laughs> it could be Janice, Kate, Sharon, David, Nancy. Let's start with that, okay? And let's see where we go. Janice, you're up. Good morning. Well, good morning to you, my Larry. Um, yeah, maybe you got the Pete from Janice PM. I don't know. But anyway, we're here. And um, yeah, I am a recovered compulsive overeater living in that cold Massachusetts. <clears throat> yeah, it's just something. I mean, I, I don't know what I can add except my own experience of um, I know when I cross the line from being a normal eater to a compulsive sick eater is when I had to get up in the morning and the first thing in my mind was going to the refrigerator to fix my morning shakes. Now, I mean, this is what you do. It's pitiful that I had to shake. That's where my body brought me to, this disease, and my mind Oh, I know how I can fix this. And that's what I did. I knew, now see, self-knowledge. I still knew that I could control it by fixing it with some more of the substances that was killing me. How strange is that? How justifiable is that? How rational in my mind is that? That's a sick mind. That's a real sick mind. The body says no, but the mind says yes. That was my disease. I crossed the line. I had no power. The power that I thought I had to fix my disease was the same substances that gave me my disease. So with the inability of my powerlessness, the willpower, I had none. You know, I still thought that I had control. I really did. Okay, I can fix this. I'll have some more donuts or whatever it is. Sure, that fixed it for a while. And then I would think, well, I'm going to be abstinent, and I would do, and I would be abstinent. But then, you know, for a while. But then I had to, I couldn't stop starting again. So something was wrong. My disease, mind, and body of rationalization and justification, my shaking body, my self-knowledge, all those things did not fix me until the grace of God came into my head. My emotional sobriety started when I had some helpful, very helpful, wholesome thinking when I got into this program and accepted that I have a disease of the mind, and I didn't like it. No, acceptance doesn't mean that I liked it, but I had to because I had no other resource to go to. And to be shaking, even in the daytime, that, oh, I needed, I needed some sugar. And, you know, it came to that I had diabetes, and maybe my, you know, my, my, my sugar was low. 
However, I didn't go to a donut. Yes. So I know today that there's another power that I got into through these steps that gave me this reasonable thinking. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks, Janice. Uh, Kate, I don't know how I formulated Pete out of your voice. I have no clue. (laughs) Good morning, Kate. Good morning. Good morning, Larry. My name is Pete. I mean, Kate J. from Illinois. (laughs) Recovering. recovering one day at a time and um thank you um everyone for your service this morning and yeah i um as i reflected back this morning on on the progression of my my disease and as i said i'm still recovering i'm i'm finishing up step 6 and 7 now and this is truly the best recovery i've ever had in fact it's the only recovery I've ever had, really. I I used to label myself as a chronic relapser, and and uh, it wasn't until I truly worked the steps this time around that I realized I wasn't really a chronic relapser. I just never got it. I never got it. And you know, it it ceasing to be food ceasing to be a luxury for me. You know, I I have a history of anorexia and bulimia as well as the compulsive overeating, and so that that sense of control really was delusional for, I mean, a very, very long time where I, I thought um, I, I had the ability to restrict my food at times. And what brought me to my knees was that that ability uh, ceased to exist, you know, in the end. I, I no longer could restrict to any capacity. And that's what I think truly scared me. And yet, as as others have shared that, that cunning, baffling, and, and, you know, delusional way of thinking um, is I would still convince myself that I would have the control again, that, that I could somehow muster it up again. Um, and then there was the bulimia, thinking that I could just purge this one time, one time, and, um, you know, the last time, the last um, relapse that I had with that, it, it was not a one-time thing. I, I could not Stop once I started. Um, so that was just really, um, you know, a terrifying thing to me to have that realization. And I'm someone who I work in the field of nutrition. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of knowledge about food. I have a lot of passion about healthy eating, clean eating. I love to, um, like, it, I love to help other people. That's what I did for a long time. And I could not help myself. And that, um, you know, that's where this disease just took me and, and um, thank God that I was able to hit uh, a surrender and, and on my way to fully recovering. And uh, thank you all, because I owe that to you. I couldn't do it alone. So thank you. Uh, Thanks, Kate. And in fairness, Pete B is now Kate. Sharon, you're up next, um, followed by David. Good morning, Sharon. I think you meant Karen P, not Sharon. I did, Karen. I can't hear. I can't hear. Well, good morning, Sharon. Karen. Good morning. Good morning. It's your turn. Thank you so much for your service and for everyone who shared. Um, this is a powerful paragraph. Uh, my name is Karen P from Pennsylvania, and I'm recovered, not cured, and I am so grateful to be a part of this fellowship. Liquor ceased to be a luxury; it became a necessity. Food ceased to be a luxury and it became a necessity. 
I, too, remember get just, I ate, I binged all day. Even at work, I made sure I had a stash of food. Um, I ate on the way home. I would stop on the way home from work and get food. I ate until I passed out. And I would keep food in my nightstand, in my office at home, um, away from my husband out of his eyesight, and I would just eat, eat, eat. Um, And I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and get some binge food and eat some. I'd wake up first thing in the morning and definitely had to have that binge food in the morning. So it definitely was not optional. It was essential um, that I had that food. And then when it says bathtub gin, I'm reminded of how in the beginning I was a bougie uh, binge eater, right? So I would get like the top of the line um, sugar stuff, right? Um, But as the disease progressed in me, I would get the cheap stuff, the day-old Valentine's candy, the day-old, you know, would eat the stale baked goods. Uh, So it it just, it became about, I didn't care I had to have it. I had to have it. And like it says, this went on endlessly. It It was insanity, pure insanity. And the thing about it is just as it says here, I thought that I could control it. The disease, the addiction kept saying, you're going to figure it out. It's just around the corner. Eat this, and then you'll figure it out. And that went on and on and on that I believed that lie that I can control it. And it wasn't until October when I came back to um, a vision and surrendered absolutely, said that I cannot take this anymore. I, I just knew I was going to die if I continued the way that I was going. Um that I surrendered, I got a sponsor, she was so loving, exactly what I needed, worked me through the 12 steps, and now I'm living in steps 10, 11, and 12, and I'm an absolute miracle, absolute miracle, one day at a time. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Karen. Okay, we got about four or five minutes. We got David followed by Nancy. If we could split the time. David, good morning. I sure David M here recovering here. Um yeah, I didn't yeah, I, I was uh before I met my wife, she was in LA and uh I was indulging the food, I never really thought of it, you know, I would have nice stuff uh when I get to work I'll have my certain scenes, I my you know, every day I'll be spending money, like thirty dollars, forty dollars. Like the store dash. I don't know if you have those. Schedules. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, then I met my wife, and then like I heard about OA, and then I'm like, OA, I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I thought I was normal. I thought I had my, my certain uh, things, but I did. So I got to work with my certain sugar items. No, and then like not until I got to OA until I heard like wow, I have a serious issue here, and uh, that it's become a actually I that doesn't that you know it's become a pleasure and now it's a, a huge problem you know 
I'm like, okay, uh, I need But um, anyway, um, uh, that's what I want to share. I'm just here, really glad I'm recovering. Um, you know, long ago, um, been here for a while, and then uh, I just left. I'm only get I'm ready to get back up. So, anyway, really, really glad to be here. Okay, thanks, David. All right, last up we have Nancy. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning. This is Nancy F. from Arkansas. And food for me never was a luxury. Uh, I've always been scared of food. And food was my drug 24-7. And like other people have said, it just takes more and more food to get the same effect, but I've been doing it for so long, I just don't get the effect, but I still couldn't put down the food. And it's so much insane. Uh, Like others, I would just go to different grocery stores so people wouldn't know how much I ate. And I remember even going in the heat in my car when it was 90 or 100 degrees and eat and then find a good place to throw up where nobody else could come in the stall. And after a while, uh, food got so expensive, I started stealing food. Uh, and knowing dog well, I could get caught, but that didn't scare me enough. And I would be, it would be a snowstorm and ice and it was very dangerous but i had to get the food and like one lady said i had i had to have uh my food all the time well if i had any binge foods it wouldn't be in the house it would be in my belly and that's all i have to say i just needed to get that off my chest thank you Oh, I'm glad you did, Nancy. Thanks so much. And so we're, that's a wrap, you guys. We're gonna, thank you to everyone who uh, has participated today. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study that will immediately follow closing. Let me give you the share ID for today's meeting. That number is 21,158. That's 21158. And now we're going to close from a reading from the big book. On page 164, we're going to follow that by the serenity prayer. And Nancy P., will you read that for us? Sorry. Yes, I will definitely read that. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, Here it is. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. 
We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.